Father, here in your presence, we want to honor you. We worship and we bow down. You are God and we are not. How sweet you are here in this room. We bow our heads, our heart before you. Thank you, Lord, for the compassion that you have across each one here. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've seen the tears that have been shed in the secret place. Feelings of uselessness and brokenness and things that just don't seem to work out. Relationships broken. No hope in the future. Yet your heart has been there. And you have felt the impulse. And your arms have been just so, so wide to you. And the Lord looks upon you with such compassion. (laughs) And you are yet to discover the immensity of his love. The love that you'd rather have his son die than lose your companionship and your upturned face. So open your heart to him now. More than you intended, more than you have. And I will come to you, says the Lord. My arm is not shortened that it cannot save. I will reach into you with a healing you are yet to discover. I will take your shame. The things that you would never speak about in this room, I will take your shame. I will take your tears and I will turn your face up to me. You are my child. You are my lover. And I am here for you. I will never let you go. I pledge myself to you. There will never be a season. There will never be a valley. There will never be a hill when I'm not by your side reaching out to you. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. I am larger than what you think and more capable than you have dreamed. I am within you and I am by you. And that which I see with my eye that you do not yet see would cause you to wonder and doubt and say, no, it could not be. But yes, I have it for you. I have it for you. So raise your face, be soft, that I might implant in you what I intend. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys turned me upside down. Right way up, <laughs> right way up, you turned me. Just so lovely to be here with you. Uh, my name is uh, Ron White, and for those of you that are online, uh, it's not my place to welcome you, but welcome anyway. <laughs> let, let me just sort this, sort this out here. Uh, I'm going to just put it back a bit. Uh, now, I've been reminded that I've been with you before. 
two people rem two people remember that or, or whatever it was way back i remember now just in worship it was way back it was in 1977 i know you weren't even born were you i know you don't remember i don't remember you either 1977 and i came and did a mission here with a former pastor of the anglican of the english service came through the other door and we did a week of special meetings so how long ago was that 77 to now how many 45 years so i get invited every 45 years to this place <laughs> and that's going to make you how old <laughs> and we'll be in what year <laughs> my lord praise be to god it, it is just lovely to be with you uh, uh, thank you to uh, pastor agus who has invited me today to join you in your series in first samuel and uh, particularly focusing on first samuel chapter 14 verse 24 i presume that you uh, have memorized it all or you have phones that you can read uh, I'm, or very good insight, very good eyesight to be able to read any paper Bible that you've got. Uh, so, and I'm going to be talking about this uh, from this passage, and I'm going to be talking to you about the leader who serves. The leader who serves, because we are all in positions where we can. Uh, we've got a little bit of echo on this microphone here. Uh, a little bit of an echo there. We're all in positions where we can serve. It might be in our family, a husband to a wife, a wife to a husband, parents to a child, or a married couple to their uh, aging, aging parents. We might be in our work situation of health. We might education, might be finance, position to serve. We have neighbours next door. We might live in an apartment block. We certainly live in some sort of street, court, road where we're called to serve. We may be in a community group where we serve, some helping group that's very specific to a crisis that we've had in our own event that we find ourselves very much qualified to work in that. We might serve in the church here. We might serve in wider governmental areas, but we're all in positions for us to serve. What is unique about uh, King Saul, as we have in the first Samuel, that he's positioned to serve was in that as being the first king of Israel. So the leader who serves. Now, Father, I want to thank you for this moment. Always incomparable because you're in it. And even though you've engraced us with your presence, Lord, and speaking to us, breaking open our heart to bring things fresh, we invoke your spirit. Asking, Lord, that beyond a person on a stage and a stranger voice, even beyond a text that is broken open to us, the impulses of your wooing and, in, and the impulses of your spirit might be sensed within us, where we would say, that's for me. I hear you, Lord. So we invoke your presence. Thank you that you have access to our minds. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lovely to hear an amen. Shall I hear that again? That was lovely to hear. That was, that was lovely to hear. That was lovely to hear. So 1 Samuel, uh, 
in particular chapter 14, verse 24 and following. But let's start in chapter 12. When Samuel is identified, he comes to the prophet Samuel. He's identified, selected. He's chosen to lead in a particular position and in a particular way. That's better. I can see who's here now. Thank you. Um, And then the prophet Samuel tells him that he's going to have something in his life that he's never had before. And Saul's heart, the core of who he is and what he values and how he operates, changes. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he comes, and I love the way that the scripture says, he becomes as a different man. There's that which we are. But there's a flourishing and an evolving that happens when our heart is receptive to the spirit of God. Then we begin to move into our call and our potential. So he becomes as another man. He prophesies with the prophets. He's anointed as king. And Samuel in chapter 12 puts away these regulations of how he is to rule. But we don't really hear how he is to rule until Samuel makes a speech in in chapter 12. Let me pick it up here. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you've asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve, fear the Lord and serve, both you and your king, serve. Verse 14, and then verse verse 20. Do not be afraid, but serve the Lord. With all of your heart, Samuel says. Then in verse 24, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Be sure to fear the Lord and what? Him faithfully with all of your heart. Saul is selected, he's appointed. He's empowered. He is another person. He's anointed as leader. Samuel says to serve. But Saul, as I'm sure that you've been seeing through the, through the messages and teaching of the last weeks, he makes such a mess. Such a mess. Because rather than a leader who serves, he served, he leads as one who threatens one who uses people and one is all one that is all about himself he threatens he uses people and he's all about himself rather than serving the flourishing of others now let's look at that and unpack that in, Je- in chapter 11 when a village called Jabesh Gilead is attacked 
Saul comes aware of that. He's out in his field. He's plowing with oxen. He wants to do something. He's enthusiastic about this. He, he really is motivated about this. And so when Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power. He burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to your oxen if you don't turn up and fight. So rather than serving, he threatens. You will do what I say or else. And I'm sure that you see leadership like that across the world. You see it with Russia or Ukraine, do you not? You see it with uh, mainland China and Taiwan, do you not? You know about leadership by threat, I am sure, far more than me in your home country where to change from your family's faith and become a Christian is to encounter threat or to be the only one in the village that would proclaim Christ as my wife's mother did and find ourselves against the whole ilk of the entire village is to encounter threat. You understand what leadership by threat is in the workplace. When the boss wants you to jump higher, faster, and quicker. More. And more. And you did that last month, so why not more again? And I see some smiles on the face. Maybe that's because you're the employer and not the employee. <laughs> and they call these cultures, oh, this is a fast-paced environment. You jump or you'll lose your job. We see leadership by threat, unfortunately, in a home situation where perhaps from his father or from his culture or background, the husband thinks that he can be violent towards his wife appropriately. So she is bruised. And she hides it away with her sunglasses or doesn't turn up to even her church on that Sunday. She's pushed around. And the husband says, well, the husband is the head of the house. You need to do what I say or else. If not physical abuse, verbal abuse, cursing, swearing, denigration of the, of the woman, and sometimes the other way around, but not quite as often. You've heard the story about parenting by threat and punishment of children that ventures, that ventures close to being the sadistic retaliation. And as even in the Christian church, because we are human, sometimes we see leadership through threat. And as one that was chair of the Victorian Tasmanian Churches of Christ Ministers Professional Standards Committee, that's a long word, isn't it? My role was to sit with those professionals from other denominations and talk about ministerial adherence to an ethical culture 
And inevitably, you'd hear stories so regularly, predictable, as the day coming, as the day coming after night that you would hear about bullying. You'd hear about coercion. You would hear about intimidation, even inside the church. Perhaps even from a, a platform that you've sat and listened to with an open heart, you've heard something said maybe close to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or you're going to hell. Threat. Now, my scant understanding and knowledge of um, contemporary rock songs still enables me to uh, know about an ACDC song that talks about Highway to Hell and a Led Zeppelin song that talks about Stairway to Heaven. But I wouldn't be suggesting that that's where the majority of traffic is going. But Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody. And he spoke of this a reality that if we don't want anything to do with God, we don't want anything to do with him. When we die, and we will, we will have exactly what we wish. And that is nothing to do with God at all. Not a thing. But in that amazingly perhaps most known verse in the Bible from John 3.16, it says God is so, so, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God's desire is not to threaten you, it's to rescue you and to share with you the very life that was pulsating in his son that never finishes, never dies, is eternal. You and I, in our places and our positions, are called to a leadership that serves. So was Saul as king, but instead of serving, he used threat. Do this or this will end up your experience. And instead of serving, he used people. And we come to the, our Bible reference today from chapter 14, verse 24, which commences with this event being that Saul takes upon himself the authority to bind everybody with an oath. They are chasing the Philistines, this in, invading group that's come into the hill country, out. Saul's son, Jonathan, has them on the run. And Saul wants to chase them out of the area. So he binds them with an oath, for whatever reason we don't know, saying, you get about the business of chasing them and don't eat. Don't worry about the energy you won't have. Don't eat. And if you break this oath, you and your family and your children will be cursed. Because, he says, I want to be avenged. Verse 24 of chapter 14. This is what I want, so this is what you must do. 
I want to be avenged against this people. So you go out there, warrior. You get maimed. You get killed chasing them. You cause your wife to be a widow. You cause your children not to have a father. And don't eat anything. Do it till day, till day concludes. Saul uses people for what he wants. I want avengement. You go do it. Using people for his own ends. Rather than seeing them as people and rather than serving them with what is good and right and flourishing within them. Standing on top of people that he might feel that he is more important. My victory, my success, my standing before people, my avengement is what counts. You go pay the price. You are here to serve me, not me serve you. Not leading as one who serves, but leading as one that uses people. Now, how do you know whether you're in a place where you, you are using people? I was uh, asked to be on a very small committee um, vetting, which is a terrible word, those people that are applied for a ministry position leading a congregation of many hundreds. Applicants came in from all around Australia. And part of my role was to interview the referees about these candidates. There was a whole mess of questions that we asked all of the referees concerning the applicants for this large and significant ministry position. But I insisted that I would ask a question that wasn't there. So I would say to the referee concerning the applicant, I would say, how do they treat people who cannot give anything back to them? And the referee would say, wow. And so I would need to explain. I say it's one thing to invite someone to your house that you've got a fair idea that they're going to reciprocate and feel that they have to invite you back to theirs, yeah? It's one thing to give something to someone. You've got a fair idea that they've got the capacity to give it back or something in, in turn. You know how to greet a boss in a way to keep on good terms with him if he's the one that's deciding on your race or whether he's the one that's going to open up a new position for him. You know how to feed your husband well if you want him in a good mood. Yeah? So these are reciprocal things. But where we really see the heart of one that serves is when the person doesn't get anything in return. I want to see whether the person's got a heart to serve. And you see that 
in the way that they deal with people who can't give anything back. And that's why the scripture is so concerned about the one that hasn't got a home. The one concerned about the one that is poor. The one that looks like their life is messed up. And the one that you look at and you think that poor person with the bad decisions that they've made, it's all their fault. And you turn your back and you ignore because it's really going to do nothing for your social standing to hang out with them. I ask the question, what are they like with the person who cannot return anything? Because that's where you see the heart of one who serves. A person that does not use people but serves them. How wonderful our Lord Jesus Christ who is in the room. He's not one who threatens us but gives us complete free will to receive him and for us to open up our pain and our mess and allow him into it without threat and not one that comes to use us. What is it that we are going to do in any way to contribute more to who the Lord Jesus Christ is as the Son of God? There's nothing that you or I can do to better that. He's already complete in every way. He's not lacking something that he has to have you come along and patch him up. And the Lord who is in the room is not one that wants to use you. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, take from you, take from you, diminish you, put you down. He says, I've come that you might have life. I come to give to you. I come to give to you. And he's here in the room to do that. Saul is called to be one who serves, but he uses threat and he uses people. And thirdly, it's all about him. All about him. Who is this person in the preceding chapters that presumes to have the place of priest even though he's been told to wait seven days? Enters in as the chosen of God and does a sacrifice. Foolish, Samuel the prophet says. Who is this person that presumes to put an oath out onto people saying you won't eat the entire day on this, the perhaps the most significant day of warfare in your life No, I'm going to take you the resources from you. You will fast. Who is this person that presumes to be able to put a curse on people and by implication their whole family? Who is this person that when Jonathan goes and eats of honey unknowingly then comes before the people and will kill his own son Because everyone was put under an oath and the one that would break the oath would be cursed. Who is this person in chapter 15, verse 12, when Samuel the prophet is looking for him? is on Mount Carmel and the scripture says he's making a monument to himself. 
this is about me. This is what I say. I can sacrifice. I can take the oath. I can kill my son. I can make him out. This is about my standing. This is about my place. This is about my reputation. Aren't I wonderful? I am struck by chapter 15 when the prophet Samuel says to him, for arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. When it's all about you, it's idolatry. No, it's not a wooden statue that can't answer to you. It's not a gold-plated thing that does not answer. It's not something on a platform that does nothing for you. No, the idol is one that you've made yourself. Who is the highest value? Who has the last say? Who must be recognised? Who must be seen as a success? Who must be somebody? Who must be better than the rest? It's me. Arrogance is as idolatry. And we've made up for ourselves a new religion about ourselves with us as Lord and Saviour. I need no one. I've replaced God. I'm sufficient in every way. My Lord. And it's all turns from leadership that serves and seeks the good of others. Using threat, do it or else. Using people rather than serving their best. And making it all about him, as the chapters will see, as you continue in the weeks to look at First Samuel, opens him up for a dark spirit that begins to work in his life. But our Lord Jesus, amazingly, in humility, very God, the mystery of all time becomes incarnate. That which cannot be comprehended becomes incarnate. That which is invisible becomes invisible and it's in the flesh that you and I share and sit in here today. And by taking the form, human form, he takes the form of a servant Because it's not about him. He needs nothing. He's already complete. Because it's about us. And what he will serve and bring into our lives. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Now, he's not talking about servitude. Let's be clear. Being a servant and servitude are two different things. Servitude is when you do something that anybody says you should. 
You're the doormat. I want this, sure. Higher, yes, no worries. That's servitude. When you no longer do you have your own mind or your own will, but you're completely controlled and dictated by, by what everybody else wants you to do. He's not asking you to come into a place of servitude. He's asking you to come into a place of servanthood. And that is that you seek the good of others. You're after their best. That's how you are in the workplace, in the call center, in the student's room, in the staff lounge, with the neighbor next door, with your family member that you can't get on with and the one that calls you names. You are always in that place of servanthood where you are seeking their best because that's how Christ is. And that's how he is by his spirit here in the room wanting to live his life out through you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. He's on the planet not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life. In Jesus you see leadership that is servanthood. A leadership that's looking for the best in other people. And our Lord Jesus Christ here in the room is not here to threaten you. He's not here to use you or take from you. He is here. That's not all about him. It's all about what he wants to do in you. Not him being served, but he's serving you. And there comes a moment when you say to him, as one that's before you, Lord, would you come into my life? I'm not one that you should know anything about or, or want to be bothered with. You should walk right off from me from, because you know me, but would you... Would you would you come into my life? Would you live your life out in me? Would you bring your eternal life that never ends? Would you deign to put that inside of me? And there comes a moment for us to ask him, and that moment is right now. So close your eyes, and we're going to invite him. Right now, there's those of you that have done that, but know the heart's gone all cold and you need to say it again. There's those of you that are in the room and you just so love his presence and you've got such a longing that is so good for you that you just want every person in this room to know this eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's those in the room that have hovered and heard something about this. He's never going to come in or push the door shut or he's never going to barge into your life unless you say, Lord, would you come? 
And if you want, right in this moment with eternal implications, because heaven's listening. Heaven's wanting. Heaven's loving you more than what you know. If you want to invite him into your life right now, just put your hand up while every eye is closed. Heaven watching and is waiting. I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Is this you? Is there another? Jesus. Lord, I invite your peace now into this place. Not a peace that I can describe or peace of being enclosed within your love and love unspeakable and such grace regardless of who we are or what we're not. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would just rest, the spirit of just how you are, without threat, without taking, here to give, would just rest on each one. And still today, there's been some that have been wrestling with stuff at home and work in the future, and um, you haven't yet let it go. The Lord's inviting you to just open your hands where you sit and, and say to him, Lord, I can't, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I sense the Lord would say, would you open that to me? Would you let me handle that? Sister, the Lord's talking to you. Would you let me handle that? That's not everyone else, that's you. Open your hands and give it to him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And there are others in the room that have received the love of God. And they know it. Yet it's like a thimble. When if you open your heart more, the Lord's got a bucket. Deeper still. More than you've yet been. Beyond what you've yet known. You open, and the Lord is right there. Right there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Do not be afraid, I am with you. I am by your side. 
larger than you know, more sufficient than you have yet discovered. Is there any limit on me? I sense the Lord say. Is there any shortcoming on what I can handle? I am the Lord, the sovereign over time and space and all things. And yet you are my son. You are my daughter. Even now.